Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Look, we're still in our series summer playlist, and the song number two is the Summertime Blues. I mean, I love that song, but listen, there is a cure. He says there ain't no cure, but there is a cure for the Summertime Blues, and we're going to look at that. We're going to look at how you can lean into the goodness of God, and you can experience His very best. You can have a life that is perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Come on. Don't believe me? Come on. Jump into the Word. We're going to enjoy this today. So, anybody who is disappointed that Pastor Carl's not standing here and I am in his place, Pastor Carl and Cheryl are in Peterborough this weekend. Uh, as you know, Pastor Cheryl's father died a few months ago, and so they, as a family, they wanted to come and spend some time together and sort of do some recreational things and, and talk amongst themselves about their father and their husband. And so that's what they did yesterday, and now Pastor Carl's preaching at our church in Peterborough this morning. So we bless what they're doing. We bless everything that they're giving. They're constantly giving. They're always in give mode, and that's the nature of their ministry. So we, we just uh, support them in prayer, and we declare a safe journey home. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Gord Watson. I'm one of the elders in the church, and uh, I'm filling in. This is uh, what we do. So we're going to uh, come back to Pastor Carl's uh, series called The Summer Playlist. But before we start, I've got a pop quiz for you. Don't you love pop quizzes? It sort of takes you back into high school. Anybody uh, have a chemistry background? Do you, uh, can you answer this question? Do you know what this compound is? I can't see any hands there yet. You don't want to shout it out? You don't want to give me a try? (laughs) There you go. Yeah, no, that's a dad joke. But I actually, I've, I've used that before, and, and, and the reason I've used it before is because there's some words that I just like saying, and I think banana is one of the best ones. <laughs> I'm constantly saying banana to my grandkids, cause, and they think it's funny, too. If they grow up anymore, then they won't think it's as funny. But That's really what the uh, point of it is. But also, because of the this summer playlist series, the song that Pastor Carl suggested that I uh, sort of jump off on is this one. It's a Cruel, Cruel Summer by Bananarama. I don't know if any of you remember this. This is from about the early 80s. And it's, uh, I'm not going to sing it for you, but it's like it's, it's a cruel, cruel summer leaving me here on my own. It's a cruel, cruel summer now that you've gone. So it's, it's got a kind of a dark tone to it. It's, you would have seen this on uh, the early music videos, and uh, I don't know if Bananarama ex- existed after this song. It might have been a one-hit wonder, but that's where we're going. But the thing of it is, is that, that the lyrics of that song speak to a sense of heartbreak and a sense of rejection that uh, I think all of us can identify with. 
you know, all of us have experienced rejection in some way or another. This quote from Charles Swindoll, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. A quote from Charles R. Solomon, rejection is the absence of meaningful love. And yet another one from Sly Stallone, I take rejection as someone blowing a bugle in my ear to wake me up and get going rather than retreat. And finally from Joel Osteen, Osteen, often out of our greatest rejection comes our greatest direction. You think about rejections, you think about worst first dates and this is this some uh, a compilation of statements from uh, that uh, the people had posted on Twitter after their worst first date. He told me he wanted to take me to one of his favorite places, so I dressed up. It was the Bass Pro Shop. <laughs> Mummy Wummy wrote, date was so bad I had to give the waiter 20 bucks to spill my drink on me to get me out of there. While at dinner, the date looks at me and says, if you just lost 10 pounds, you would be a 10. I went for dessert. <laughs> this is the best one, I think. At the end of the night, he leaned in for a kiss, whispering, don't be scared if my tooth falls out. <laughs> Can you see it? <laughs> so rejection could be described as a sense of being unwanted or unloved. And it's actually the number one emotional wound in our contemporary culture today may well be this overwhelming sense of rejection. And I know that more than likely, there are some of you who are right now suffering from rejection for that. I'm sorry, and I declare Jesus' peace over that. I speak Jesus over that for whoever is going through that. If you're not going through rejection right now, you're probably going to, or you would have, or you will. But we always need to be aware and have empathy for what others are experiencing. That person who cut you off, was rude to you, well, they may very well have experienced rejection of some type. So what are we supposed to do with rejection? How are we to handle it? Is, is there a healthy way to deal with it? Is there a way to protect ourselves from it? Thankfully, the Bible has a lot to say about rejection. Especially, it's actually a big deal. So let's take a few minutes and see what the Bible says about rejection. If I can get this to come back to me. There. There's an article in Psychology Today written by a guy named Dr. Guy Winch. And he has some surprising facts about rejection. He says rejection actually piggybacks on the physical pain pathways in the brain. So that's the same areas of the brain that are activated by physical pain. They're also activated from rejection. We relive social pain more vividly than physical pain. The hurt of rejection is held on to more clearly than the physical pain we have experienced. 
And I know that's true for me. Rejection destabilizes our need to belong. We all have a fundamental need to belong to a group, and when we are rejected, this need becomes destabilized and ad adds to our emotional pain. Rejection actually creates surges of anger and aggression. We have all heard news stories of people who have been rejected, fired, or separated for someone only to retaliate in anger. However, more often than not, this anger is turned inward and leads to a sense of depression. And finally, rejection sends us on a mission to seek and destroy our self-esteem. For many of us, when we are rejected, we begin to look at our faults and inadequacies and make them bigger than what they really are. When we attack our self-worth, we end up only deepening the emotional pain, making it even more difficult to recover and try again. So I want to take a look at a story in Judges. This, this may be a kind of an obscure book to you, and it may be something you don't read often, but you know, the Bible says that all scripture is given for our instruction and admonition. And I think there's, there's a lot to be found in there. Judges is a book that comes after the book of Joshua. In fact, in Judges chapter two, it records the death of Joshua, who led the Israelites into the promised land. And it says there that uh, actually after Joshua died, then all of the others of his generation died also. And then the subsequent generation had no knowledge of the Lord God, had no knowledge of what he had done for Israel to get them out of slavery into the promised land, had no relationship with him. And so the book of Judges is, is in, by and large about what men get into when they begin, begin to forget their relationship with God himself, especially the Israelites who were the called, called the people of God. It's a book that contains a lot of really interesting stories, and it usually is a cycle of the Israelites being attacked and condemned by enemies, and then the Lord raising up individuals that are called judges that are there to actually fix the problems, bring peace back to Israel, and as long as that judge lived, then Israel was in a state of peace. Now, if we took them all, all of the judge stories in the book of Judges, it would probably span about 400 years, so it's, there are probably some of them happening contemporaneously with each other, so that they're happening in different areas of the land of Israel. But it's, it contains stories like the story of Samson and the story of Deborah, one, one of the few um, women in the Old Testament who was given a place of authority and leadership. But what we're going to talk about today is the story of Jephthah. Jephthah is a pretty interesting guy, and he sort of, the story just comes into being in chapter 11. But in chap, the end of chapter 10, it says, and the Ammonites were warring against Israel. And that's a recurring theme. The Ammonites are one of the tribes that were left in the promised land, and they were the ones that were a constant harassment to the people of Israel. So. Chapter 10 ends with, and the Ammonites were fighting against Israel. And this starts chapter 11. Jephthah the Gileadite was one tough warrior. This is from the 
message version. He was the son of a prostitute, but Gilead was his father. So Gilead is a place, but Gilead is also his father's name. Meanwhile, Gilead's legal wife had given him other sons, and when they grew up, his wife's sons threw Jephthah out. They told him, you're not getting any of our family inheritance. You're the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and went to live in the land of Tob. Some riffraff joined him and went around with him. Other translations say that he became kind of a robber baron, almost like a Robin Hood figure. He was a, he was a mighty warrior, but he attracted people of uh, low character, and they went about sort of plundering and robbing. Some time passed, and then the Ammonites started fighting with Israel. When the Ammonites at war with them, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to Jephthah, come, be our general, and we'll fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, but you hate me. You kicked me out of my family's home, so why are you coming to me now? Because you're in trouble, right? The elders of Gilead replied, that's it exactly. We're coming to get you to go with us and fight the Ammonites. You'll be the head of all of us, all the Gileadites. And Jephthah answered the elders of Gilead, so if you bring me back home to fight the Ammonites and God gives them to me, I'll be your head. Is that right? They said, God is witness between us. Whatever you say, we'll do. So Jephthah went along with the elders of Gilead. The people made him their top man and general. And Jephthah repeated what he had said before God at Mizpah. A couple of things I want to pull out of this in terms of this concept of rejection. Jephthah, if you take his, the meaning of his name, and it's always, I think, important to understand the meaning of names, especially in, in the Old Testament. Jephthah means literally to open for oneself. So in this story, we've seen that Jephthah is able to turn his rejection into a selection process. He has a bad start in verse 1, but he was the son of a harlot or a prostitute. This was not a great start in Israel, especially in the Old Testament. And you can, you can interpolate that he grew up constantly despised and subject to rumors and slanders. Can any of you identify with that? How was your start in life? I mean, the guy was born to a mother who was a harlot of low caste, low esteem, but he had no control over that. It was something that was just a fact of life for him. And he probably loved his mother as much as he loved his father. But that black mark on him in terms of social standing was something that he could never overcome while he was living in the land of Gilead. That's often like it is for any one of us. There, there's almost a constant need, a constant seeking for acceptance in every atmosphere, every sphere of our lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's even in the church sometimes, there's a need to find acceptance. And for many reasons, we're discounted, we're disqualified, we are dismissed. And that's the way the world seems to work these days, especially in a world that is so polarized with the us versus them mentality. And right now, if you're not one of us, the majority of people, especially on social media, think, well, you must be my enemy. If you're not one of us, then I must have to hate you. 
even though there's also always room for agreement. So Jephthah means to open for oneself in verse 2. He asked a bad start on verse 1, but verse 2, he's got the big dis, the big dismissal, the big discounting. Legal, his uh, mother uh, had other sons and they grew up, and when they grew up, they threw Jephthah out. And you think, can you picture this, where your siblings actually band together and decide that you're out of the family. You've got to get out of here, not only this home, but you have to go completely from our presence. You're not getting any of the family inheritance. You're the son of another woman. It's interesting that that may not necessarily have been a big deal in other occasions, but that was certainly true, especially in, in other stories in the Bible where the man would have more than one wife. That was allowed, it was permissible, and in this case, it was something that they leaned on to throw him out, get him out of the family. So we have to consider what is the wise response to situations like that, especially when we are experiencing rejection in any way, in any form, to any level. First is you have to deal with it. And I'd suggest to you that the first thing you have to do is forgive it. Not only for the sake of the people that may have injured you or harmed you or despised you, but more importantly, for your own sake, to let your heart be free so that you're not burdened by that sense of failure and that crushing weight of rejection. Second thing you have to do is then you need to bless it. And then thirdly, you need to give thanks to God the Father who can take even the broken and the bent things of your life and turn them into something good, as it says in Romans 8. He will take the things that we give him, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he will then reform them into something that is actually good for you and those that surround you. Next step is get into Tob, and Tob literally means something good and something pleasant. So that's what Jephthah did. He left his family when he was kicked out, but he went to the land of Tob. And this is where you can actually turn things around. You can turn the rejection that you've experienced into a strong sense of continuing acceptance. You can take that rejection and turn it into a discovery of avenues and pathways and realities of your life that you never would have got to except for that rejection. The rejection itself can become a preparation for the future. Rejection itself leads then to a revelation that you would not have actually had. And rejection, in this case especially, as an example, leads to reigning instead of being cast aside. So here we are with the awesome comeback from Jephthah. Number one, he was left in disgrace, but he comes back in honor. He was left alone, but he comes back with the elders of Israel, the rulers and the ones who make decisions. He left in rags, a poor man, but he comes back with a general's robe. He left secretly, but he comes back with a parade. 
he left a nobody, but he comes back as the commander-in-chief. It's interesting in, this, in the verses that I read that the first time they talk about Jephthah being a leader, actually it's translated as a temporary leader or a fill-in leader. But when we get, when he get down to, when he asks the questions of the elders and he says, so if I understand this right, you'll, you'll appoint me the head, right? And they said to him at that point, yes, you will be the commander-in-chief permanently. And that was before he had actually done anything. So this is not a complicated story. It's actually just sort of pops up, runs its course, and Jephthah lives for another 30 years after the story and is replaced by yet another judge because Israel did the same thing. They repeated that cycle of ignoring the Lord God. But in this case, his disappointment became his appointment. He was rejected by man, but selected by God. I want you to hear this. This isn't just some old story. This is actually a story that you can put yourself into and see yourself there because you are a secret already in God. And you and see yourself as a commander waiting to happen to the world around you. The reason why all of this is true, I think, is because we look, as we should in every case, unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and think about the things that he went through. In John chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, it says, there it was, the true light, and this is speaking of Jesus, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light, which coming into the world enlightens everyone. He, Christ, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Think about this in, con in the context of rejection. He, became, he came to that which was his own, that which belonged to him, his world, his creation, his possession, and those that were his own, his own people. And in the context of this scripture, the Jewish nation at the time, and they did not receive and they did not welcome him. And finally, this verse from Peter, 1 Peter 2 and 4. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, Jesus was that living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. I want you, want you to hear this in the context of any rejection you feel, anything that's happened to you in your past, your present, that may happen to you in, in your future. It's like, when John the Baptist was beheaded and his disciples took care of his body and buried him, what did they do then? They went and talked to Jesus. And the past, those last two scriptures that I just read to you demonstrate so clearly that above anything else, Jesus understands and has deeply experienced any rejection that you could even imagine of beyond anything that we can experience as human beings, he experienced the rejection of creation 
that was bent and broken because of the fall of Adam. But he came despising the cross that was set before him for the joy that, was, that he was anticipating, bringing all of this back into the right place, the right relationship, and the union with God that all creation longs for. So Jesus knows. And so my encouragement to all of us today is that if you experience it, you feel the pain of it, it gnaws at your soul, go and talk to Jesus about it. Let him absorb that sense of pain, that sense of insult and injury, and understand that in him, you are so totally and completely accepted. There is no better place to be. So the last slide for you. How will you deal with the big dis, the big discounting, disregard? Remember, your rejection is and can be a place of promotion. You can turn your rejection into an occasion of being selected. And that's true because Jesus absolutely totally accepts you just as you are right in this moment. There's no qualification. There's no conditions. There's only unlimited, unconditional love that flows from his heart to every one of us constantly and forever without a shadow of turning.